Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Funding MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Funding MedTech is, a, is our newest podcast that is a spinoff of our MedTech Money podcast series. There won't be any new episodes of MedTech Money, but I encourage you to check out those old episodes as there is some awesome content on raising and investing capital. Funding MedTech is an interview style podcast focused on exploring ways to fund MedTech innovation and will be released weekly on Wednesdays. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering and design, mechanical engineering and design, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability, and automated test systems. With customers all over the world, Valentium works with clients in every stage and situation ranging from startup seeking funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit Valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development. In this episode, Howie Chan at Healthy Brand Consulting and I discuss brand development throughout the various stages of a medtech startup company and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with Howie Chan. Hey, Duane. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Howie, um, introduction to um, uh, who you are, uh, your background, and and what you're currently doing uh, in the med tech space. Yeah, absolutely. I really grew up in the in the world of med tech and healthcare. So, out of college, I was actually working as a scientist, believe it or not. Uh, and now, you know, in the world of brand and brand strategy. But I started off as a stem cell scientist working in the lab. And I think I was pretty slow because it took me about three years to realize, like, dude, that's really not my jam. Like, it's, it's not my thing. Um, and then I uh, had a job after that working in the field. So it's always fun to work in the field. Obviously, you know, in the med tech world, you get to see the day-to-day of how sales works, how clinicians make decisions. I was a clinical engineer, so I was really sort of the the um, liaison between the company's clinical trial programs and the hospitals. So my job was to assess and figure out what research they loved, what they're thinking about, and really sort of connect the dots. And the, the most fun thing is you get to ride as a, as a shotgun to the sales folks where they sort of bring you in and, you know, you can have that clinical discussion and then they can kind of finish the, the sale because, you know, there's a, big, there's a big no-no, right, clinical and sales you know, can't be muddled together, but we sort of worked together to, to, to build relationships with, with docs. So that was really fun. But it became really hazardous because I, I was driving all over the place. I covered four um, four sales territories, about 15 hospitals. 
And it was like there's some days I would drive five hours just to meet a doctor for like half an hour, and then drive all the way back. And and this was the days before you had Bluetooth, you know, Google Maps, and all that jazz. We had these terrible palm trios, right? The brick, if you remember. And like Tom Toms, you know, so constantly trying to do stuff <laughs> while I was driving. So it got like, damn, I gotta, I gotta do something different. So I, I took that, I took that knowledge, I took that experience, and like a lot of marketing people do, they sort of take that sort of field experience and go in house. So that's what I did. Yeah, I took that in house and started working on product marketing. I did that work with um, a couple of big med device companies like Medtronic and Philips Healthcare. I worked in Europe mm-hmm. for a couple years. Um, and then decided to really follow my curiosity and, and think about what's next. So um, at Philips, it was interesting. At Philips, we 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 were helping um, really grow the consumables sort of division. It was really at the cusp of before they bought Volcano. So Philips Healthcare at that point, you know, really was just in the big iron, as we called it, right? The the MRI machines, the the X-ray machines, and they were looking at all these med device companies make ridiculous margins making cash you know making money hand over fist and they're like, how can we get into that so it was before they bought volcano so we were we were doing these some joint ventures you're trying to figure out how to figure out sales and marketing strategies so i was part of that team um but then after that i uh decided to do something different so i jumped over and worked on the agency side so i spent about eight and a half years as an agency which grew about 20 percent year over year i started off with 200 people and it was like 2200 when I left, so yeah, crazy growth. You know, I think it was like 17 acquisitions over that period of time. When you say agency, how you mean like a marketing agency firm? Yeah, it was actually okay. started as a PR agency, um, mostly uh, in healthcare, yeah. mostly in PR. My role was, you know, how do we expand into marketing? How would we expand into into brand? So there was there was super fun. Um, but last year, so last year, spring of last year is 2022, uh, myself and a whole bunch of people got let go. And, you know, so, I, you know such is the world of private equity and, and, you know, the companies trying to make its numbers. So instead of finding a different job, Dwayne, I decided to open my, my own shop. So, you know, I have a, a, a company called Healthy Brain Consulting. It's where I do most of my work with companies, with startups, um, freelance for agencies. But again... Uh, MedTech is my my sweet spot. I do a lot of things in healthcare, but you know, in in the big healthcare umbrella. So that's where I've been spending most of my time. Yeah, awesome. And uh, where are you located, Howie? I am in Minnesota, middle of the country. Ah, the mecca. The of, mecca. Uh, MedTech. Um, very cool. All right, awesome. Um, okay, so so I want to go back to your experience at Philips and Medtronic. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get a feel for what you learned there. What were some of those experiences you took, um, and how applicable those are to to obviously they're very applicable to your new role uh, at your own agency. Um, but more specifically, I'm 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 concerned with is is startups, right? And so yeah, um, understanding that the way Medtronic operates, the way a startup operates are totally different. There are a lot of similarities that you can pull from there. So I'm curious, maybe let's start there. What were some of those things you took from like that Philips Medtronic world that said, hey, that's great. I know how to implement that with a startup. (laughs) That's a great question. I think one of the key things I learned primarily from being in the field is that perception matters, 
relationship matters. No matter how big,、yeah. how small you are, that's、yep. like number one. I think a lot of startups may think, "Hey, we're in we're in the medical field, we're in medtech. It's all about evidence, right? It's all about the product, right?" I think that's baseline. Once you get beyond that to the selling game, it's all perception and relationships. You know, I think that is like the number one takeaway you can't miss. Uh, Howie, let's expand on that a little bit because that is—it's、uh, so true.、Um, and the perception that it is, you know, all evidence-based, which it is, right? Because medicine is evidence-based.、Um, your point, though, about you know relationships and perception is spot on, and it's why strategics dominate. Um, the market space, right? It's why, try, as a startup, trying to capture market share into、um, a a when when you, when you're going up against a Striker, a Medtronic, a J and J, a Zimmer, is difficult because they have relationships. They have the perception that you know that this is the the top of the line. It's very very difficult, and so、um, highlighting that point I think is really important because I, I talk to a lot of startups who, you know, are like, "Well, my product's that much better," and it's like,、mm, maybe, right? I mean,、um, we're we're a we're, you're a startup company,、um, and you're also like, especially in a scenario where they're a five ten k. Right, if they're a five ten k product, you're substantially equivalent to something else on the market. So, how much better are you than the competition in reality? Right. So, I'm curious on like, is that is that where you kind of start then with startup companies?、Um, is is understanding that? Absolutely. It, you know, I think when when I say brand strategy and brand, a lot of people think, oh yeah, so you do logos and colors, right? Those are not the things that I care about, right? So the the most important thing, the most important thing is how can we get your business up and running? How do we gain more traction? What are your business objectives? Like it all starts from the business, the business strategy. Because for me, everything after you sort of have your business plan, this is how we're gonna make money. That's your business model. These are our products. These are the technical specs. Once you start to influence or try to influence, whether it's an investor, whether it's a patient trying to do a trial, whether it's a physician that you're trying to rope on to become a PI in your trial, or whether it's a customer, that's where brand strategy comes in. So we need to figure out how, what's the perception and feeling you're trying to create. Look, a brand is nothing more than that perception and feeling. It's a shortcut to decision making. Back to your point, Dwayne. When somebody sees. A person with a with a Medtronic logo on their shirt walking, they're gonna listen. They're gonna listen because they spent four decades, five decades on that brand itself, right? So you, immediately you feel, ooh, you know, it's it's a big deal. It's trusted. It's high quality. It's top innovation. You're gonna think about that right away. So for startups, it's it's understanding first of all, what is your secret sauce? What is your thing? And then you got to think about all the touch points to be the part, to look the part, right? From from the very moment you pick up the phone, from the website that they come in on your on your on your website, from the emails that you're sending out, from what you do on social, from that first meeting at the first handshake, and what you say, like, make sure every single touch point aligns to that thing that you're trying to leave behind, the perception, the feeling you're trying to leave behind. So. Uh, colors and logos, part of it, sure. But is it the first、mm-hmm. thing we talk about? Never, never. Yeah, 
right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about this uh, internally within Project MedTech, right? About our values, our mission, our vision, and how while that affects internal, it also affects our external um, uh, <clears throat> relationships as well, and how we deal with things. And so, um, I, I love what you're saying there. Can you walk me through a little bit of you know when I look at a startup company, it's difficult because they have a number of different customers, right? They have their commercial customers, they have their internal customers or team, but they also have the fact that they probably need to go raise money, mm -hmm. right? And so how do you walk through that from a brand development standpoint with them of, you know, this is the perception we want to give to investors, this is the perception we want to give to this class of customers or this class mm -hmm. of customers and how much that matters? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a that's a great question because I think especially in healthcare, right, where every single stakeholder has their own stake in 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 the project, right? You need to be able to bob and weave and give them what they want. However, at the center of all of that, mm -hmm. at the core of all of that is one idea. You know, you have to you have to land on one idea. And what often happens, Duane, is when startups work with, whether it's consultants or different design agencies, when the people that they work with don't understand the technology, don't understand the science, don't understand the clinical application, they tend to not align all of that together. And what ends up happening is that there's some misalignment. So when you talk, start talking about the market or you start talking about the opportunity or you start talking about the patient journey or you start about talking about the tech, things start to not line up and that's where you get into issues because then it's like, oh wait, the left hand is saying this but the right hand is saying that. You're saying this to your investors but then you're saying something different to your physicians. Where, where the magic happens is when I work with startup companies, when you look across everything that they're doing inside and out, like you said, culture and tech and everything, what is one thing? What is one sort of, I, I would call it like, a, like an essence point where everything can point to and then from that, it cascades into different messages, cascades into value propositions for each of your stakeholders. That's, that's very relevant, but at the same point, when you look back, dude, all the dots still connect, and it still points towards one thing. That's the magic. I love that um, because I think that <clears throat> sometimes people think of it as like, well, here's my messaging here, here's my messaging here, rather than well, here's my total messaging, how it trickles down to everybody else is, is, is could be have nuances, but it's all pointing to the same general theme. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Let me give you an example. It is a, a really yeah. fun one, yeah. really fun one. So uh, years ago, I worked with this startup called uh, Claret Medical. Um, they were in the Tavris space. So what they did was they, oh, sure. they, they, made, a, they made a device where um, when you do a Tavra procedure, you you actually knock a lot of calcified uh, uh, tissues around, right? A lot of calcium gets released into the bloodstream. So what they found out through the studies is that it actually affected people's cognitive and behavioral um, uh, uh, mindset. Something happened to their brains after that when they did MRI studies over the long term. So it, this was a company that made a catheter that had uh, almost like nets, almost like nets that you deployed when you were doing the tavern procedure to catch all the debris that's been knocked out, right? So when we worked with them, there was a lot of discussion about who we were, what we stood for, how much do we want to stir the market, right? Because they're a startup. How much do we want to say, oh my God, Tavra is bad? No, Tavra is not bad, but then there are bad consequences. 
So in the end, the one word was protection. Protection. That was it. It was very simple. A very simple idea. Then when you think about protection, Duane, in your head, it comes, whoa, what is protection? Protection is strong. Protection is sturdy. Protection is stable. So you start to sort of get a sense of even what the whole brand stood for. So when the campaign rolled about, when we needed to get people to pay attention to what it was, like what this thing was, it wasn't just like a lot of med tech companies just kind of, hey, here's the product, here's the thing, here's the thing. No, it's not the thing. It's the idea that stroke happens, protection works. Stroke happens. It's not your fault, physician. It's not your fault, surgeon. It happens. It just does. How often does it happen? Not a lot of times. And if you dig in, if you double-click, triple-click, yep, you have all these cognitive issues. You have all these range of issues that could happen, but it happens. But protection works, right? Like your helmets, like your like your uh, dry, uh, seat belts, like all these things, they work. And they're there for a reason. So that was like just the core. I mean, it's a very simple idea, but it goes to show that that simple idea can be translated to strategics, to investors, yeah. to patients, to physicians, all rallying around the same thing. Yeah. Howie, how much time do you spend with with clients on articulating their problem, right? Because for us you know, at Project MedTech, we're helping these clients on, you know, essentially operating their companies in some ways. Um, you know, we, we really try to get them to say, hey, listen, <clears throat> I know you love your solution. You've got to fall in love with the problem you're solving, not necessarily the solution, um, because this is how you get away from where you need to be in the marketplace. Um, and, and some people, I think, are just bad at articulating their problem. And and that poses a big issue, right? Because um, you're selling to, you know, so all the way around, you're selling to a pretty risk adverse marketplace. Um, the inv- investors are always gonna try to be, you know, uh, uh, more risk adverse, less risky. Um, <laughs> double. That's a that's a funny one. Um, but then you know you're selling to physicians um, that are very evidence based, but also very risk adverse. You're selling to a hospital system that, you know, boy, you got to be really, really uh, different for them to switch. Um, whatever they're currently using because of how many people that affects. And you're also, the other major stakeholder is payers. And they're very evidence-based as well. Hey, show me the outcome. Show me why your product should should be approved. So you're, you're fighting an uphill battle almost every way you look. And if you can't articulate a problem and you just are like, well, but look how cool this solution is. In this industry, no one gives a shit, right? Um, so, so I'm curious how much time you spend with them on articulating their problem efficiently and and getting that across in their brand rather than their solution couldn't have said it better i mean this is this is really the symptoms of this industry right which is you said the conundrum right there you have to be very different in order to charge a premium you have to be different for people to pay attention to you however nobody wants different there's so much inertia there's so much inertia. That is the number one thing, Dwayne. It's like, what problem are you solving? And the thing is, like, what problem do does your uh, customers face? Not you. What what do they face? What is the mm-hmm. actual problem? And a lot of times, what I find is they don't actually see it as a problem, dude. They just don't. 
because because whether they have been using the same technology for over thirty years, or whether they have just been um, trying to keep their heads afloat because they they're just over inundated with patients, a lot of times their customers don't see the problem. So you have to somehow shift or rewrite, kind of like you said, the problem into a way where they get it right away. And if you can't, you have to do some sort of an education campaign pre-sale, pre-commercial for people to understand what is the actual problem here. What are we actually dealing with? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I was thinking about this the other day because I saw the iPhone 15 got released. <laughs> and And I'm looking at this and going, Apple has done a fantastic job of selling on selling most Amer- most people people who aren't really into phones necessarily that taking better pictures is a huge problem in their life and i'm going back and looking at old pictures i took on my old iphones i don't know there's maybe a marginal difference right but but they've done a great job in their marketing of convincing me like well that's a huge problem in my life i don't have clear enough pictures on my phone and and so anyways i mean the power of branding is super important and, and you got to think about it early on so so when do you do this with startup companies i mean are you recommending they engage you earlier the better um even if it's like a light touch point but maybe some of the actual work you're going to do gets heavier as you go i guess walk me through like if if in an ideal engagement where it's not where howie makes the most money but howie has the most efficient process with a client what does that look like yeah no that's a great question i think one of the prerequisites is that you have sort of figured out what is your business strategy, right? There's always going to be some test and learn, right? Even after you commercialize. But I think when a startup sort of understands what their product's going to be, what's their sort of flagship launch is going to be, that's when you need to engage. Like don't engage, you know, a, a brand strategist, you know, two months before launch, three months before launch. No, you need you need more time than that because it's just not, doesn't happen overnight. I think a lot of this, and, and you can't engage them too early because if everything is shifting and turning and churning is not the best use of uh, a brand brand builder's help. Got it. Um, and and uh, I guess, you know, the other big questions I have around this too with, with brand and, and, and marketing is um, for med tech products, mm-hmm. uh, how much does a website, social media, those types of things – play into this right like um i think about that sometimes right um on whether like social media for instance plays a huge role or not but but i hear a lot of people talk about it still though so i'm curious on your perspective on uh, first social media but then um also like the dynamic of the website as well because sometimes when you talk to people they're like oh like website's not as important anymore and but I look at our stats for Project MedTech. It's like well, most people go there, right, and interact <laughs> with our website. So it has to be clean and efficient. Um, so I'm just curious on this dynamic yeah. of like website, social yeah. media, what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always think of it as um, inside to outside. So if you look, if you look at all the things that you need to do, first you need to get your house in order. It's all inside stuff. You know, this is like you said your uh your values your behaviors your purpose like all that stuff that's inside your you know baseline communication right whether it's your powerpoint decks or your collateral anything that's like really internally focused like you got to start there and then once you go out 
outwards, like all these different channels, all these different things that you talk about, Dwayne, there's no silver bullet. There just, there just isn't, you know, in today's world, everyone is going to go through their own journey of learning about you, you know, whether it's through a podcast that your startup did with an investor or, you know, coming to your website and digging around, they're going to go through whatever touch points they are. And it's all about your budget, how much you want to spend on it, how much of an impact you want to make right away. Look, like nobody, no startup has like a gazillion dollars to spend on marketing and brand right away. You just don't. So you do it step by step. Like website, it's huge because I mean, that's that's your storefront, you know? Um, definitely resources for your salespeople, how they show up. Oh my God, that's huge. I mean, that's your front line. So anything that, that goes from there, social and all that, if you can get into that, yes, for sure, do it. If not, like, don't. Like, make sure if you start that channel, that, again, it's all aligned back to the brand, back to the same story, back to the same thing you're trying to tell. If you're just dabbling and just putting stuff out, you might as well not do it. Just wait until you can actually yeah. do a good job and then yeah. and then start. And and that is, I think that's, you know, with, with early stage companies that are commercializing, you know, um, something that you know we've 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 spent a lot of time with startups is um uh and this is just me thinking and talking out loud now we spend a lot of times talking about their commercialization strategy they hire w2 they use 1099s mm -hmm. you know how do they commercialize a product and and generally you know we kind of fall into the camp of like if we're having the debate and one way isn't clear we'd love to have w2s right because they wake up every day and think about your product getting your product and they're not carrying a bag of a hundred mm -hmm. you know the other thing that i didn't even think of you just brought it up now is the story right mm -hmm. i mean something from like from my own pro from project medtech side the, the thing that gives me anxiety is as we scale are people telling the same story that we've been telling for two and a half years and and whether they talk to me aaron rich or whoever else on our team they're hearing essentially the same message uh, and as you scale, you start to fear that, you know, those other people who are doing that maybe aren't saying the same message. And, and that's a big concern. As a startup company, if you have, uh, you know, if a sales team and they're not only focused on you, are they telling your brand and messaging the way you want it to be? Um, that's got to be a huge concern for startups. And, and how you manage that is, is um, yeah, it's a big question mark for me, right? Especially if they're not full-time folks. 100%. And that's why you know, one of the um, one of the quotes from, from my podcast, um, Healthy Brand Podcast, uh, I was talking to a, a lady where she was in charge of employer brand um, years ago. And she said, one of the key things is your employees are actually your forgotten customer. Yeah. Because right. they, they could either, she said, they could either be setting little fires around your company or they could be the biggest and fiercest ambassador for you. So they're forgotten. So when we talk about brand, we talk about culture. I think what's often not talked about is the less sexy stuff, which is process. You need process and systems. As companies scale and grow, what is the system of onboarding? What is the system of getting them super jazzed up? Look, everyone that starts work at an employer is going to be super jazzed up in their first two, three, four, five days, week. But what's their 30, 60, 90 day jazz ambassador building program? How do you keep them engaged? How do you keep them, like you said, excited and saying that the right things are the same things, right? I mean, that's culture. So if they come in and, and they experience it through the leaders, they hear stories, they hear metaphors, they're, 
you know, artifacts on the wall. They're things that sort of, again, reinforce the story of the company. It just gets more and more built into their behaviors and their way of speaking. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. How I'll give you two examples. Um, uh, I interviewed the CEO of Greenlight Guru, and this is after... I had already met a handful of people at Greenlight Guru. And mm. when I interviewed the CEO, I had this like light bulb moment. I'm like, dear Lord, these people are spawns of David, who's the CEO. Like they, they say the same message. Like, it's impressive, right? And the same thing just happened with another company called Valentium. Uh, I've had four guests from Valentium on the podcast, and, and, and I just interviewed the fourth one. They all say the same thing. And it's because that's what's that's the culture they've built. That's the brand they've built. And yeah. they are truly jazzed about it. And I mean, it's like, you know, as as we look to grow Project MedTech, I look at like the North Star and like those two groups. And I'm sure there's a handful. There's a ton of others, too. But those two that are like come to mind where if we could emulate what they've built from a culture standpoint, we'll scale yeah. just fine. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, it, and it's no it's no accident. Right. These yeah. things are not accidents. Right. Yeah, and that's what I've been noticing is they're very, there, there's, there's a process. There, it's very prescriptive. Um, it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, so, so tell me about um, you're working with a lot of startup companies in the med tech space. When it comes to branding, where are the uh, the biggest craters, where are the biggest mistakes, biggest hurdles. Yeah, you know, I think it it goes back to misperceptions about what it is. You know, so again, the first one is always, you know, I want the, um, I want, the, I just want the end product, right? I, I want the thing. <laughs> I, I'm not willing to go through the process. I just want the end product. And to a lot of people, the end product is, you know, I want that logo. I want that PowerPoint deck or I want that website. And it's a, that's a big trap because essentially the process is the product. The process is the product. Mm-hmm. It aligns your entire company to a story, a single story i think that's number one that's that's always the biggest sort of misperception so you can't you can't just be like hey you know um i give you a week and i want to i want to have a a powerpoint deck up and that's it no dude no humans humans don't do that (laughs) we 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 can't we can't all get on the same page and march in you know to the same hymn uh with the flip of a switch it just doesn't happen Yeah. yeah 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 what uh are there other other uh, big ones too that you see frequently? Yeah. Um, or or pushback that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean the the, the second one um, is the idea that everything is logical and rational. <laughs> you know, right, like right. like it's right. all about putting up all the facts. Yeah. Uh, and that's gonna sway your audience one way or the next. It is not. I mean, unfortunately, mm-hmm. we are irrational beings. Right. Yeah. There was a there was a there was a study um, by by MIT. I think this was 2018. Um, there were a bunch of scientists at MIT looked at about 60,000 uh, records, ICU patient records, and they looked at um, the 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 diagnostic imagery. Like how often did they do diagnostics? And then they also mapped back to their notes about the sentiment and how physicians were feeling about mm-hmm. the situation. I mean, lo and behold, it turns out that there was a direct correlation between, you know, how they felt about the person or the situation, their sentiments to the number of tests they were doing. So there was something else they were using other than just like facts and, yeah. and data to make the decisions. I mean, again, you know, these are these are doctors and doctors are people. We often forget that. So that's that's one part, you know, when when I work with medtech companies, it's always to kind of remind them like, look, we, you know, hum- doctors are humans, too. 
yeah. they're they're swayed yeah. by perceptions and feelings yeah. as well. Of course, and and the other thing too, I'll say about facts, um, and I don't know when this really changed, but but facts are also um, not as accurate sometimes as 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 people think, or their perce- what they perceive as a fact is very different, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, here's my clinical study. This is facts. Well, hold on a minute. How'd you design the clinical study? How did you collect the data? There's a lot there that I don't know when this all happened, but 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 people just are like, well, this is a fact. <laughs> ah, hold on a minute. You know, like it's like we've lost track of. Um, uh, the scientific theory, you know what I yeah. mean? Like the, the process of that. And, and as a chemist, right. Um, <clears throat> it's just been interesting. I don't know. Like my, my, my chemistry brain turns on a lot where, um, people are also emotionally attached to decisions they've made. Um, and I find that a lot of people are like, well, but this is how I thought. And I can't go back on that now. And it's like, well, no, new information has presented itself. And so, you know, you need to reevaluate that. And I think as like that was a, that's the best thing being a scientist has ever taught me is I am sworn to nothing. Right. Like I don't if I if I feel that this is the way it should be, but then new information presents itself, I'll be the first one to go. Oh, I was wrong. I need to switch my my, my thinking on this. Right. Like it yeah. doesn't matter to me. But there's this like weird dynamic of well this is how we've done thing for done thing for 30 years or this is how i was trained and it's like i get it but there's new information right right, uh, right. So it's really it's just really interesting dynamic the way you brought that up about about uh facts and um people's perception on facts and the way people throw that around well that's a fact it's like yeah that's not a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, it, it's super interesting, right? Like um, the innovator's dilemma, right? The the adoption curve, right? we all know that, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. if you applied it to any sort of population or any customer group, you know, for any of the MechTech companies, you're going to see that. There's going to be the first 3 to 5% that's going to want to use your thing, no matter what your evidence of facts is going to be. Just because it's something new, they just do that. And there's going to be the laggards that no matter what you put in front of them, the decision has already been made, which is, no, I'm not going to use it until my hospital you know, forces me to use it. And I'm going to poke every hole I can into your facts. I mean, it, this is this is going to apply to every one of your listeners' startups. It's, it's no matter what, it's going to be the same thing. Because why? Because like you said, we make decisions first, and then we think about how to use all the facts and rational thought to make it real right right um there is a book called thinking fast and slow have you read it before absolutely danny kahneman absolutely Um, yeah i i I, for people who have listened to all the episodes of the podcast which there there can't be that many um but but i talk about danny kahneman and amos traversky frequently um because they're research and books and the things they've written and even some of the other people uh talia marie schultz is a um uh she studied under danny kahneman Mm -hmm. and then wrote a book about how uh humans um make decisions on healthcare, and we think it's so analytical but it's gut it's mostly gut and then we use facts and stats to support why we chose what we chose absolutely um it's so 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 interesting um, absolutely and so for those who who are like well where do i start because because you're going to pick up a danny kahneman and amos traversky book and go 
shit, I'm going to need more time. Uh, they're <laughs> thick books, right? But, but if you want to read The Undoing Project, it's written by Michael Lewis. Um, he writes about Amos Traversky and Danny Kahneman, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a lighter read. Um, but if you read that book, you're going to read all the rest of their work because it's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's also where and how I put sort of branding in my mind that works for me because when you think about brand, it's a shortcut to decision-making. It's system one thinking. It's the fast, quick way that we think, right? I mean, that's how we do. We make you know a lot of decisions, thousands and thousands of decisions in a day. So we yeah. can't we can't relate to, we can't go to system two which is very very hard it takes yeah. a lot of energy we do that you know not a lot of times throughout the day so really brand is to help you make decisions which is what we do every single day why do we go to a grocery store pick one thing up you know instead of another in a split of a second we're not even thinking about it mm-hmm. yeah um, Howie anything in closing we didn't touch on that if if I'm a med tech entrepreneur out there and I'm listening to this to learn, learn a little bit about, about brand and marketing, um, is there anything else I should know or any final closing thoughts? Yeah, you know, I would say back to this idea of when should you think about brand and brand strategy. Um, again, I think anytime you need to align your organization and align your story to something, I think that's a fantastic place to start. Think of it as an alignment exercise right where you kind of everybody can swim to the same place point to the same north star um, the other thing about this is you know when you think about brand strategy it is not a factual process there's going to be a leap of faith right there's going to be data you got to leap to get to an insight and then you got to make a decision that's your strategy right strategy is not right or wrong strategy is a choice love it um there will be a link to Howie's uh, LinkedIn in the show notes. So depending on the, the platform you're listening into, up or down an inch, um, we'll have a link to uh, um, his uh, website for his company as well. Howie, thank you so much for your time. Hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. But uh, thanks so much for being a, a guest on the Project MedTech podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's fun. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.